looking to Jesus Christ as our example, not, not lowering the standard through an earthly hero, but looking higher to who Jesus is. We're going to read the passage, and at the end of the passage, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and if you choose, you can say thanks be to God as we thank God for his word. Starting with verse 32, excuse me, 31. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a young man, just to get out of college, I went to um, the denominational office, the Assemblies of God office in Madison and Glenn Burks, he's an awesome guy. Um, he had like the coolest office, like with bookshelves and it just was everything you would want to see in an executive's office. And he had a huge picture of Abraham Lincoln. And, and um, I thought, man, Abraham Lincoln, I've been, I've been hearing about him my whole life. And I just decided right there, I said, I want to be an Abraham Lincoln fan. I mean, you know, obviously everybody loves Abraham Lincoln. And so I started reading biographies about Lincoln and, and have studied him uh, quite a bit. I even named my youngest son Lincoln, you know? It, and so, so Abraham Lincoln is, is someone I admire quite a bit, but let me tell you the process of that. I predetermined in my mind, I'm going to like Abraham Lincoln. And I really needed him to be something in my life. And, and so as I began to study him, Believe it or not, I actually became disappointed at first because he's not a purist, idealistic person. Uh, he was late compared to other abolitionists. Um, and like a lot of great leaders, we don't like this. He was a compromiser. He got people to work together. Um, he wasn't an extremist. And so as I started studying his techniques, I actually was disappointed and I went from looking at him as this person I'm infatuated with to, you know, being disappointed in him. And then I came back around, not to temporal infatuation, but to actual deep appreciation and deep respect. And that's usually what it's like with leaders. I mean, even like, take me for example, like, most people, well, you know, I get fired every week by somebody. I mean, either someone who's gone to church here for a while or somebody visiting. They're like, hey, I don't like that guy. But for the people who do like me and, and, and think I, I, I preach well, uh, they're like, okay, Aaron's okay. And then you'll get disappointed when you get to know me because I'm a human being. And then you can hopefully come back around and actually respect me for being a normal person who's trying to follow God. That little process is with every, I see that in every leadership principle. You start out with infatuation with somebody and then you're disappointed because they're human. And then you can either write them out of your life or perhaps you can have a deeper 
respect for them in the future. But I needed Lincoln to be something. I needed him to be this purest, idealistic person, which in my opinion, he wasn't, but he ended up being something better. Someone who, if, if without his leadership, we would not be a country right now. And we, we wouldn't, he kept us together. So a month before he died, he gave his second inaugural speech. And Lincoln often referred to the Bible, even though he wasn't a churchgoer and didn't participate in church, he knew the scripture and his phrases from the scripture would, would be within his text and with, within um, different speeches he gave. So a month before he was assassinated, um, he gave this, he gave his inaugural speech and here's a famous quote, with malice towards none, and with charity for all. Now, I, I, want, I want to remind you about something. This was in the Civil War. 650,000 people died in that. And he said, with malice towards none, with charity, our love for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who sh shall have borne the battle, and for the widow and for his orphan to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and a lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. That, that phrase with malice towards none is, is interesting because likely he saw that in our scripture today out of Ephesians. It's, it's likely. Here's my first point today. It's we are called to be imitators of God. According to the scripture, my first point is put away malice. Put away malice. What is malice? That means the intent to harm. The intent, the intent to get back at someone. The intent to punish. The intent to let people get what is theirs and what is coming to them. Now, I'm not talking about civic law. That's a whole different conversation. But I'm talking about personal behavior. This idea that we have malice, meaning we're going to, we wish the worst upon someone because we're, we are their judge. Ephesians 4, 31, we read it just a couple of minutes ago, said, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And I chose the word malice to summarize. It kind of summarizes bitterness, anger, and wrath. If we're going to be imitators of God, it's time to get rid of that stuff. I feel strongly that the Lord wants to change some of your lives today. And I want to ask you this question. Aren't you tired of being so angry? To be angry is exhausting. And some of us are in such a habit of walking in malice and anger that it's, it's become a habit that has produced character within us. But being angry takes up so much time. It does. It fills up our headspace. It messes with our emotions. So why is it that we choose to continue to be angry? Well, there's lots of reasons, but I'll give you one for meditation. 
because anger feels powerful. It, it just feels powerful because it is. It's intimidating. And whether we use our voice or, or we use other techniques to express our anger, when we feel powerless, anger makes us feel powerful. But the Lord's saying, if you want to be an imitator of God, it's time to get rid of that stuff. And I think at least it starts with wanting to get rid of that stuff. Ingrained habits are, are hard to break, and sometimes it's a process. I'm not naive enough to think everyone who's going to leave here today will never be angry again. I mean, that's a natural human emotion, but I want you to have the desire to manage your anger under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I want you to be an imitator of God, not an imitator of someone else you admire. Some of you try to be angry because you admire someone who's an angry person. And, and anger is not good leadership. Uh, anger gets things done. So if that's your definition of leadership, if the definition of leadership you have is someone who gets something done, angry people are in powerful positions. But if your definition of leadership is something different, like mine is, like a leader is someone who inspires the heart, that gets people to work together, all that, then you realize that anger may get you to point A to point B, but you lose your soul in between. So let's quit having our heroes be those who specialize in anger and instead be imitators of God. You know, a lot of Christians are angry right now. That's what I've picked up on. And you know, if I was angry, I could probably draw a bigger crowd. There's something called mirroring. You've seen this with a baby that you connect with a toddler. Like if, if, if you smile to a toddler, they smile back. If you make a funny face to a toddler, they'll emotionally respond. And so we emotionally connect with people when we're feeling something and we have all this anger churning up within us, then we feel drawn to someone who is angry. And so right now, a lot of, there's a lot of crowds being built on anger. And I challenge you to live Ephesians 4.31 and get rid of that. Get rid of that. Don't let that be a driving force. Anger takes up too much of your time. You're going to have a lot more time if you're not angry all the time. Like a lot more time to enjoy life itself. You can enjoy the hummingbirds more if you're not angry. <laughs> That's an inside joke if you didn't hear last week's sermon. Anger cuts too many people off. I'm grieved at how many, how many people have cut me off because I perceive that they're angry at me. They never talk to me, but that's my perception. It may not be true. Maybe I'm naive, but I kind of think it is. Or maybe because I haven't been angry enough, they don't think I'm effective enough. So when you're walking in the spirit of anger, you start cutting off, cutting off sources in your life. So don't do that. Something that happens to me all the time I guess there's a chance for me to become angry, but in this one instance, I don't. Is when I'm around people with small kids and the kids are being, you know, fussy and disruptive. The kids are acting like kids. And it happened to me yesterday. I was at a, 
a funeral service and I was sitting in the crowd. I wasn't part of talking or anything. I was just sitting among some people I didn't know. And on that same aisle, there's some little kids. One was coloring, one was playing a game. It was a somber service and I could feel the tension and, and the people. It wasn't, they were just like, I hope they're not disrupting this, this man being me. And so I smiled at them and communicated. Everything was cool. I didn't have a chance to tell them what I often tell people. Hey, I, I, I raised three kids. I get it. But that's the point of this illustration. I raised three kids, and so I get it. When I'm at the grocery store and they decide to throw a temper tantrum, and, and there is nothing you can do except get the kid back to the car. And all of the people haven't, you know, all the people give dirty looks to you, <laughs> and, and you feel judgment coming upon you. I remember all that. So because I remember all that, I try not to do that. That's part of number two. I'm going to give you a powerful, deep statement. I don't know if you can spiritually handle it, but here it is. Be kind. Why is it that for some of you that sounds weak? Really? <laughs> the word kind talks about, it's, it's, it's where we get the word kin. Like family. And when family works best, we, we treat our family well. So kindness is mean treating people like they're your family, wanting the best from them. I sent this sermon uh, to my wife to say, hey, what do you think about this sermon? I wrote the sermon, but I was a little nervous telling you, giving the sermon to you because it just didn't feel real deep. I don't have some obscure message from the Old Testament that you've, you've never read. Like, oh, I've never seen what Ezra said. That was a great sermon. If you've been in church a long time, sometimes you just want information. You want some kind of analogy. I'm talking about myself here. Some kind of metaphor from an an obscure Old Testament scripture. So then at lunch you can say, that was deep today. Well, let me give you something deep. Start being nicer to people. Because that's what imitating God is about. In fact, I'll say that a lot of people who have a lot of depth in the Bible aren't really pleasant to be around. That might be one of the reasons Paul said to a bunch of Christians you know, that God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. There's something power about kindness and love. Look at verse 32 of Ephesians 4. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. And here's the reason why. Here, here is the basis of our kindness and forgiveness. Is not that the other, peop- the other person's worthy of that. Just as God forgave you in Christ. So people who have been forgiven, forgive. You are called to be compassionate and kind and forgiven. Why? What is the basis of that? Not just so that we can have the reputation of good people, even, even though there is value to that. But it's because that's what God did for you. And so what Christ did for you, you're called to do for others. So we're going to read a story from the Gospels, our Gospel reading today, that's self-explanatory because it's such a brilliant and beautiful story. Jesus told this story in Matthew 18, 23, starting with verse 23. I don't have, a, have to give a lot of commentary to this. I just want it to sink into your heart. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. 
In the process, one of his debtors was brought who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that, that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. 27, then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now look at verse 35. This is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, Jesus was talking to religious people there, and he's trying to create the need for a Savior. So I'm not giving that, that message for you to doubt your salvation, because we've all walked in forgiveness. I'm just saying that as people who are living out salvation, because Jesus has paid the price for us all, now we must forgive. And the basis of forgiveness is not the worthiness of the recipient. The basis of forgiveness is what Jesus did for us. Now that story explains so much. But going back, if we could go back to uh, Ephesians 4.32. I want to connect these verses. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. Here's the basis. Just as God has also forgiven you in Christ Jesus. Right here in this room uh, in 2019, it was a Monday Thursday service. It's the service, the, the, the service that commemorates Jesus and him taking the Passover feast before Good Friday, his death, and Easter, his resurrection. So Pastor Deborah was leading the service, and that's one of the few services of the year that I just don't do anything. I just sit right here with you guys. And during that service, as she and the other readers were sharing scripture. There was a scripture that absolutely wrecked me. Now, you know, guys, how it is that you've heard a scripture your, your whole life. For someone like me, I grew up around Christianity. So I've heard a lot of scriptures my whole life. But then sometimes the Holy Spirit just makes it real. It's like this podium here. It's like, yeah, this podium's brown. And the Holy Spirit says, no, this is brown. Now, he's not talking about the podium, but I'm saying in this scripture, I, I knew this scripture, but it felt, it, it came upon me with, with new depth. And since that Monday, Thursday service in 2019, I've prayed this scripture almost every day. I can't say every day, but I can say five days a week I've prayed this scripture and it's part of my prayer practice. And here it is, John 13, 34 and 35. I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you, 
you are also to love one another. Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that, that scripture has wrecked my life. I don't always live that scripture, but I want to always live that scripture. For someone who grew up as a professional Christian, I started preaching at age 14 and, and had, a, had a lot of effectiveness early on. Some people might say I was a better preacher back then than I am now, I don't know. Uh, but I wasn't very kind always. It wasn't always very nice. I, I was, you know, I, I had the temptation to be a Pharisee. This scripture now is a guiding scripture for, for my life. And it's really not about me here at all. It's about Jesus giving us a new command, setting us free from the weakness of the law and setting us free to love. So here's my last point today. Live in love. Live in love. I'm calling you guys. I'm really, I'm really not calling you. Jesus is calling you and I'm echoing his call. This is what Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 says. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love. As Christ has loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Walk in love. We're imitators of God when we walk in love. We're imitators of God when we walk in love. We're not just imitators of God when we, when we know scripture well. Because I want to rem- remind you of something. Still today, most Christians... Who, who have lived the last 2,000 years, either one could not even read, or two, the first, the, you know, for centuries, didn't even have access to the Bible. Now, I, I'm, I thank God for, for Scripture. I mean, you guys know that's, that's the centerpiece of who we are. So let me just qualify all of that. I'm, I'm all for what Wycliffe did. And, and we, the scripture from the Reformation, the scripture belongs to the people. It shouldn't just be contained to the professional, the, the priest. The scripture's for all of us. But, but I want to remind you, if you're a Bible thumper but don't have love, you've missed it. You've missed the theme of the Bible. So Jesus is summing up all the commands with that. Here's your new command, that, that you love one another. John 15 um, Starting with verse 9, it says it this way. As the Father has loved me, Jesus is saying this, I have also loved you. Remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you may, my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. And we've seen that in Jesus Christ. Verse nine, we've already read it, but it said, remain in my love. Why do you suppose that Jesus said, remain in my love? Because we can easily step out of his love. So he says, remain in my love. Remain, remain in that pathway, that new command that the gospel has freed us from the weakness of the law, the strength of the law, we still take. The strength of the law, we know what sin is. So the Ten Commandments still stand. 
as a requirement for morality and a, it's an identifier of sin. We wouldn't know what sin is if it wasn't for the law. But the weakness of the law is the law doesn't make us righteous and it doesn't make us love people. Jesus said, I have a new command. My new command is that you love one another. And then the world will know that you're disciples because you love one another. And I'm trying to do that in a lot of different ways. I think it starts with loving the whole body of Christ. Loving people who are different than us. Loving people who worship differently or have different styles than us. Trying to find the good and not just step into the criticism. These are all things that the Lord would have for us. But the Lord will show you what you need to do. He'll do that. So let's pray about that. Let's spend some time with the Lord. Josh Johnson, he can start making his way up here. And uh, let's just uh, receive from the Lord here for a second. Do not be hearers of the word only, but be doers of of the word. So the Lord has spoken through his scripture primarily. And he's called me on this morning to deliver a message to his people. And I'm echoing the scripture. Scripture is where the word came from. And I'm echoing the scripture. And so now I I call you to be a doer of the word. How can you walk in love? How can you put aside the anger and bitterness that is destroying relationships and destroying your life? I, I just want to say this, and the Holy Spirit's here to speak to us right now. Don't let your anger cut you off from your kids. I want you to hear this right now. Don't let your anger at culture or your anger at whatever that is to you cut off a relationship with your, with your adult children. And I'm thinking about adult children here because if, if you're still parenting minors, you know, just you know, lead them, <laughs> lead. Don't follow, don't follow your kids, lead your kids if they're minors. If your kids are adults, I just wanna, I wanna speak this into your life. Don't let anger cut off your adult children. Stand for righteousness in your heart and in your conduct. But get, a, get rid of all malice. Let's talk about that word malice, the intent to harm. Some of you, if you're really honest, you're intending to harm someone the next time you talk to them. You're intending to harm them the next email you write or the next text you give. And uh, you don't see the violence in that because we think violence is just only something that destroys someone physically. I'm gonna tell you that we have violent tongues and your tongue is a fire, a fire that sets destruction So that malice that may be in you today, the Lord's calling you to repent quickly. Repent quickly. Don't think about it. Some of you are like, I'm going to think about this sermon. No, listen, you're thinking now what I meant. Don't think about it and delay. The Lord says repent today. You can change today. You can change today. You, You can ask God to change the trajectory of that relationship. He can do that today. Get rid of the malice. Get rid of that. Think about, think about what President Lincoln did with malice towards none, but charity to all. 
this is how we're going to move forward, he said. This is how we're going to move forward as a nation. And I know there was all kinds of complexities in that, that, that are still present today in some ways. But the tone made a difference. And I just want... I want, I want you to follow Ephesians 4.31. Follow Ephesians 4.32. Don't follow that person you admire who is not God in your life. You follow him. Be an imitator of God. Throw yourself fully on the teachings of Christ. And today... You know, the, the Ephesians is so strong. It, it's, there's other things about being an imitator of God. That's not the whole list. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Right after it said be imitators of God, it says don't be sexually immoral. So if you're like, well, I'm kind and I'm compassionate and I'm loving and I'm not angry, but you're committing sexual sin. Well, that's not being an imitator of God either. So that's all Ephesians says. Uh, the, whole, the whole book is so rich and so good. And we just took a little little sliver today and went deeper together. We went deeper together because the Lord is speaking to you. And, and I'm, 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 I'm moving slowly right now because here's the reason why I'm moving slowly through this time of service is so you don't escape the conviction on you right now. Some of you, you want to explain away the conviction. And, and some of you are, are trying to be a spiritual consultant right now instead of a spiritual receiver right now. Like, hey, hey, I see where he's going on this sermon or I, I think I know what his motivation is or whatever. And you're, cons- you're, you're analyzing this sermon. And the Lord says, don't analyze this sermon. Receive this sermon. I mean, receive the word of the Lord for you today. And it's a deep word. Ephesians 4, 31 through Ephesians 5, 2 is a deep word upon you. And I'm gonna say this in the Lord and in love. You are now responsible for this scripture. You are responsible for the word of the Lord. And the Lord loves you and that's why you're responsible. He, he disciplines those he loves and he reveals to his prophets and his servants and, and his people. We're part, we're, we're part of the priesthood now. He reveals his words to them. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence.